pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. We pray, Lord, for a special grace from you to be able to receive this word with meekness, Lord, with humility and hunger. Give us ears to hear, and Lord, give us the power needed to change. We trust that you have something in store for us that will literally change our lives forever. And we look to you in faith for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to share some aspects of my childhood, maybe this wouldn't be the immediate storyline I would go to, but strangely enough, I could tell you that a season of our childhood was um, dentist visits. And you would think, well, that doesn't sound exciting at all, and I'm not saying it is. Uh, partly because that was something in which I aspired to at one point in my life, but also it was uh, a family friend that we had to travel to almost over an hour every time. And we spent most of the day at that location because of all the siblings that would have to go through that together. And oftentimes afterwards we would have a specific pizza place in mind to go eat and to enjoy fellowship together with our numb lips uh, from the dentist. But what happened at that dentist is uh, something significant. Because every time I would go as a young kid, I was often preached to by the dentist of the necessity to floss my teeth. And so gracious was the lady that she taught me how to floss my teeth, why it's important to floss my teeth, when I should floss my teeth, convincing me that I can do it while I watch TV, uh, convincing me to do it while I walk around the house, all these different things. And I would just sit there in that dentist chair, nod my head, appreciate her pouring in her wisdom into my life, only to let it slip out of my mind as soon as I stepped out of the dentist's office, because guess what? I'm not going to spend even a minute flossing my teeth. So every time I would go, she would remind me, you better start flossing your teeth. Thank you, dentist. Uh, I'm sure it's important, but I don't see the necessity of it in my life. I don't see the dangers of it in my life. I'm going to just nod my head, agree with you, agree that it's probably important to floss my teeth, but I'm not going to floss my teeth. Until one day, after a long one-hour drive to the dentist with my siblings, it was my turn while my siblings were in the waiting room to sit at the dentist and to hear another sermon on flossing my teeth. And as I sat there, it was a different tone, it was a different approach, but it was the turning point in my life, turning my dental hygiene. As she opened my mouth and she put the mask over her face to explore what was going on in my mouth, she looked back, pulled down her mask, looked at me in the eyes, and she said very sternly, you are starting to get an infection in your gums. She wasn't smiling, she wasn't laughing, she wasn't uh, lighting up the mood at all. She went straight for the jugular and she informed me that I'm now starting to see the dangers of my lack of discipline. But then she offered hope, and the hope was this, that if you're willing to take this seriously enough, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to begin to now actually floss your teeth, you can reverse the effects of the infection, and you can have a normal mouth. I nodded my head the same way I did every single time, but my heart posture was different. Because I can tell you from that moment on to this day, I floss my teeth. Saying thank you for the insight into your dental hygiene practices. I appreciate that. I wasn't expecting it as when I was coming to church this morning. But it's an illustration to point out this fact. That oftentimes, we know the importance of something. 
Oftentimes we realize that things are necessary in our walk with God. But it is not until we realize or we are told that we have now stepped into the destruction element of the lack of doing something or the practice of doing something. It's not until we realize that there is now harm in me and I'm in the beginning steps of it where I move to action. That is unfortunate for many of us that we need to realize the damage being done to ourselves before we move on. Before that, we could have been told, we could even told ourselves the importance of something, of doing or not doing. But until we begin to see how it affects us, it's not until we move into the opposite direction. And I believe that's true for many things, and I believe it's especially true for a specific subject today. And it is a topic that is probably not the most exciting to hear on a Sunday morning, but very, very necessary. It's the subject of pornography. Pornography. You might be thinking, why are we talking about pornography, of all things, on a Sunday morning? Well, if you're with us for the first time, we're going through the book of Galatians. And we've come to the point in chapter 5, verse 19, down to verse 21, where Paul describes the deeds of the body. Paul describes certain practices of the flesh and gives them their very name. Now, as you look at that list of different deeds of the flesh, what do you think is the most dangerous, not only to the spirit or the soul, but uniquely dangerous to the body? I would argue, according to the Bible, that it's the first one that you see on that list in verse 19, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And I believe this is a great opportunity to pause and talk on the subject of pornography in light of that. As we are discussing the fight between the spirit and the flesh that we are daily experiencing. And it's not just that. If you were with us last Sunday afternoon, we had a marriage and relationship seminar. Which we spent a good amount of time in. And many of you were there for those two hours. And personally, I wanted to bring up the subject of pornography, but due to the overwhelming questions and the time restraint, we didn't have a chance to. Because as much as pornography may seem like a private issue, it is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the damaging, most damaging factors to relationships and marriage. Guaranteed. And so, with this clarification of why we're tackling this subject, I want to go back into the illustration that I just spoke of and understanding this, that maybe by faith, by soaking this in prayer, maybe for some in here, this will serve as the startling realization of the damage that actually occurs from the seemingly harmlessness act of viewing this on a regular basis. It would bring us into a place where we say, enough is enough. I will do anything it takes to make sure that I will not experience the harm that comes from this demonic thing. Main verse today, this is going to be a different kind of sermon. Different kind of sermon. We're going to jump off of one verse and stay in it for a long time. 1 Corinthians 6.18. I would encourage you to turn there. Because in Galatians 5.19, Paul tells us the works of the flesh. And one of them, the first one listed is sexual morality. But when you go to 1 Corinthians 6.18, he doesn't just identify sexual morality. He tells us how to relate to it. He says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin 
a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. Now, gluttony, drug abuse, other forms of bodily harm are some ways that you and I could hurt our bodies. But what's unique with the sin of sexual immorality is that it uses our body as the instrument of harm against our own body. All these other things that can be obvious to harming ourselves are external elements taken within or upon ourselves that affect our health, spiritually, physically. But with the act of sexual sin, it is the body itself that is blasting against the body. This is why Paul says it's unique from all other sins. It's using the very physical thing that we cannot escape to actually do damage to ourselves physically. The purpose of this message is to unfold the reality of that. The purpose of this message is to consider how this sin affects more than just my spirit, but it affects me psychologically, it affects me physically. Sexual morality in this verse, when he says flee sexual morality, comes from the root word porneia. Sound familiar? Porneia. And that word is not limited to a physical act with someone else outside of the covenant of marriage. That word describes a range of illicit sexual sins, including watching, downloading, viewing internet pornography. With that being said, we're going to see how the consequences of pornography firstly affect the inner man physically. And not just physically, but it goes outside from there to the closest relationships to me. And then from there, it actually affects the known world that you and I are surrounded by. Are you saying that my individual viewing of pornography is affecting the world? Absolutely. What is the relationship between how the damage I'm causing to myself physically, how does that, this private act, affect those around me? I get that it might harm me physically, but how is that the cause for damaging other people? And the answer is in this, that the main part that's being tampered with when it comes to the act of engaging and viewing pornography affects the brain. The brain. The very command center that determines how you view things, how you evaluate things, how you experience things, how you experience life. This is the main part. And science is just now admitting to the wisdom that God has had for thousands of years about how sexual immorality is in fact a great contributor to damaging ourselves physically. Oh, we all understand spiritually. We all understand souls. But we're talking about physically. Now you might be wondering, you might be wondering, I totally understand where you're coming from. If this is a subject that is appropriate for a Sunday morning message with a, a wide range of people from different age groups and with the hopes of an awkward free lunch afterwards. <laughs> now let me read some statistics to you and you have every right, if you have a young one in here as a parent, you feel like it's necessary for them not to sit in here, that's fine. But before you do so, let me just read these statistics and then you can determine that afterwards I will not be offended. Ultimately, it's everyone's choice. Statistics. 
37% of all internet activity, 37% of all internet activity is pornographic. The largest consumer of internet pornography are teens from the age of 12 to 17 years old. The largest group of consumers. 90% of 8 to 16 year olds. Eight, do you know an 8 year old in your life? From 8 to 16 years old, 90% have admitted to viewing porn at one time. The average age for a child to be first exposed to pornography is 11 years old. And researchers are debating that with newfound studies, and they're saying, no, 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 not 11, 8. 8 years old, the average age of a person viewing Pornography. BBC posted an article stating that one-fifth, 20%, 20% of 12 to 13-year-olds believe that viewing pornography is normal behavior. You're saying, well, these are stats of the world. This is research outside of the church. So how does this have to relate to me on a Sunday morning and my church family and my Christian life? Let me present more stats to you that I hope breaks your heart. 68% of church-going men view pornography. 68%. Now, mind you, as you're hearing these statistics, these are the ones that were honest with their answers. Nobody wants to lie about this part of their lives. Rather, nobody wants to be honest about it, so you better believe that someone lie about it. 68% of church-going men view pornography on a regular basis. 68%, almost 70%. 50% of pastors do Half of pastors view pornography. That's if they admit it. Of young Christian adults between 18 and 24 years old, 18 and 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. Fifty-seven percent of church leaders, so just over half of churches, over half of churches have admitted, church leaders have admitted that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregations. 69% have confessed that porn has deeply impacted their churches. 69%. Barna Group recorded that of Christians, of people who confess to be followers of Christ, who actively, actively seek out pornography, men between 13 and 18, of all the Christians that they have uh, counsel and ask and study. Of men between 13 and 18 years old, 81% of men. Women, between 18 and 24, 56%. Do you think this is just a men issue? One third of consumers of pornography are women. One third. And it's growing. Yes, is it predominantly a male issue? Absolutely. We can say two thirds, but one third are women. Women are not absent from this. Josh McDowell, who is a strong voice against the effects of pornography in the church, he's an apologist, he's written many books. He has many testimonies of his crusade. The man is on a crusade of preaching and bringing light to pornography and the, how it's affecting the church. And you can imagine he's getting heat for it in some places. But he, he records of a testimony that he was exposed to after one of his nights speaking on this issue. He wrote, last night, a grieving mother told me 
My daughter is 18 years old. 18. She has always been very spiritual. However, over the last two years, she has lost all interest in spiritual things. She no longer reads her Bible and has lost all interest in church. So we just had a long talk about it. Afterwards, she came to me and she shared that she's addicted to internet pornography. It all started at 13 years of age from a friend at a Christian school. I hope that we can agree that not only is it appropriate to speak on this on a Sunday morning, it is absolutely necessary. And I also believe that this subject cannot be covered in a matter of one single sermon, but the hopes and the prayer behind this is that it would be just enough to kickstart something about honesty and transparency before God and before man, and ultimately to see victory. The sin of sexual morality affects the body. How? Let's talk about the individual. Let's talk about where it begins with me. The brain, this magnificent organ that God has given us, every single brain contains a reward center. It's something in the brain that releases dopamine. It's a chemical with a mixture of other chemicals with it that make you feel good. It's almost like a high that comes to you when you are experiencing something. And God's wisdom behind putting that reward center in our brains is so that we would what? We would engage in healthy activities that God has called us to for the sake of survival. So dopamine is released. The reward center lights up when I eat something and it tastes really good. Dopamine is released. Dopamine is released through sexual intercourse and its purpose is that this act feels good and it brings about procreation. It brings about new life. So, so God has given us a reward center in our brain that releases chemicals that help us engage in activities that we probably wouldn't do otherwise and we would cease to survive as a result. The issue with the reward center is that it can be lit up for false rewards. It can be lit up with fake rewards. It can be engaged, it can be activated through things that are essentially damaging because it tricks the brain. So you have drug addicts that are tricking their brain that whatever they are bringing into their system is bringing about good and it keeps them hooked. This is why people go back to what they do is because it releases a high into their minds, into their bodies ultimately, and it leaves them craving for more. But dopamine, we've all heard of that to some extent, but that's not the only thing that's released when somebody engages in a certain activity. There's a protein that comes with it. It's called Delta Fosby. And what the purpose of this protein is when it comes out with the outpouring of dopamine in the brain is that it creates these pathways in the brain that create a mental connection between the pleasure that I'm experiencing and the act that's allowing me to have that pleasure. And so what happens is it connects those things, the pleasure and the activity, and it creates this memory kind of trail in my brain to say, this feels really good, remember the act so that you can engage in the pleasure that you felt through it. And what happens is that over time, that specific chemical begins to have a strengthening in the mind and it builds a stronger connection. It builds these neuronal pathways in the mind to ultimately create a craving system in the brain. 
See, these connections that are made ultimately built up into cravings. And so what you have is people who are more vulnerable now to addiction because they've exposed themselves to this dopamine mixed with this protein and it makes a connection between the act and the pleasure and your mind now is getting more and more hooked because of what's happening in this cranium. Now what's amazing about this is that pornography is one of the strongest and most influential forces to creating these pathways in the brain and to keep people connected and craving the very thing that is releasing all of that dopamine at an accelerating rate. But this protein doesn't just do that. It's, the brain is unbelievable. It actually is able to take details from the surrounding experience of that sin. And what it does is it takes certain details of when and how and where you are experiencing these things to now create cues in the brain that trigger you to want to perform that act of viewing pornography again. For example, if you watch at a certain amount or a certain time of the day, let's say at night, let's say almost at the same night every night before you go to bed after work, let's say 9 p.m. Whenever it strikes 9 p.m., and maybe you're even off of your schedule, when it strikes 9 p.m., you'll feel this sudden craving. Let's say something that you perform in your bedroom. Your bedroom, according to this chemical, has now become a cue for you to crave the thing in which you want to break free from. And so we see how powerful this organ is. We see the wisdom of God behind it, how it's supposed to be directed towards good, and how Satan has manipulated it and put people into bondage. Have you ever wondered why so much of pornographic images and videos are so accessible and free? How do these, how do these industries stay in business? They know exactly what they're doing. They give enough free material so that you can just binge on it, and once you binge on it, you get hooked, and now you're willing to come to the place where you pay for the program. They know exactly what they're doing. People know exactly the science behind this, and they're taking advantage of people who are unaware of what's happening to their own minds as a result of this practice. And so you have a verse like Proverbs 27:20. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of men. The scary thing about this whole thing is that there's this false persuasion that if I set my eyes on something, it's going to satisfy me. It's going, to, it's going to quench this lust. It's going to quench this thirsting. It's going to quench this curiosity. But according to this verse, just like the grave, the grave never says, enough dead people were full. Thank you very much. There's no more room. The grave never says no to another soul that perishes from the body. It's always available. Its mouth is always open for another body to come in, for another soul to be granted to it. And so it is with the eyes of men concerning his lust and his greed. You can never, ever ultimately gratify it. You can feed it, you can feed it, you can feed it 24-7, and you will never, ever rest satisfied. Never. This is something we probably understand, we all understand about pornography, that it can be addicting in a fierce way. But perhaps there are some more details about this long-term effects that we might not be so familiar with. These trails that are created in the brain, that are grooves in the brain, literally, neurologically, these nerves create these pathways, survive based on a use it or lose it principle. 
So the more you engage in the act, the more the grooves are deepened and strengthened. And the less you engage in it, just like on a trail in the forest that is barely walked on, it begins to kind of disappear, dissipate. And its effects are not as binding. So what do you have? You have this vicious cycle of not only are you thinking that you're going to satisfy, but you're in fact bringing yourself into deeper bondage into it. And listen to this. What keeps people coming back? There's acting. There's airbrush. There's makeup. There's, it's all fake. It's all hollow. Endless editing. Endless options of different sexual fantasies made available by the click of a button. What you have is a person strengthening it to an intense degree while something else is being weakened. What's being weakened? What's being weakened is those pathways that are meant to be created with another real person. That you see, that you touch, that you embrace, that is supposed to create those connecting factors between your mind, your heart, her heart, her mind, his mind, his heart. And so you have a person that's indulging in this with a screen, and you have at the same time them starving the real thing, and this is getting weaker, and this is getting stronger, and there are an enormous rate of data proving that you have young men in their teens and young 20s that rather be with pornography than their girlfriend or wives. Why? Why is it that people are so hooked to this? Well, I just said, the endless fantasies, all those different things, but there's another principle to this. When it comes to pornography, when it comes to someone who's engaging in that viewing, you're totally in control. You're totally in control. What you want, when you want it, whenever you want it. Now, when you share that act of sexual intimacy with your wife, with your husband, you share that control. It's not all up to you. There's a shared experience there. There's another person with a will, with their own likes, with their own desires, with, with their own emotions. There's communication that is needed. There's mutuality that needs to be expressed and confirmed upon, not with pornography. I'm totally in control. And so they starve something else. And, and literally, this is research, that the intimacy between a man and a woman is deeply affected by many people who say, I find more joy and excitement than being with my wife by being with the screen. You know what part of that is? The damage that has been done to the brain. Let me read this to you. Another testimony from Josh McDowell's ministry. Hear this very carefully. Please don't let your mind wander. I saw a beautiful little girl and said to Matt, my assistant, look over your left shoulder. Isn't that little girl beautiful? It makes me miss my grandkids. This was after a meeting. The mother, who was about 35 and beautiful, looked like she had just stepped out of a modeling magazine. We, we struck up a conversation and chatted a little bit, and I quietly said, so her child could not hear, be careful about pornography. Her head snapped up, and she seemed startled. With tears, she said, it has destroyed almost everything in my life. My husband and his three brothers all became addicted by 10 years old. He no longer desires me. He can't get aroused with me, only with his porn. After a long pause, she continued, I was exposed to porn by my older sister when I was only six years old, and by eight, I was addicted. When I was 23, I sought professional counseling. She stared at me for the longest time, 
And before she walked away, she says, you were the first person I ever told about my marriage. Thank you for listening. As she walked away, I looked at my assistant and we both experienced that sadness that comes from such a heartbreaking story. This is an isolated event, but it's happening in the droves. Other results of pornography? Many reports show that excessive exposure to pornography has over time caused people to build a tolerance to the nature, to the very thing that they once were thrilled by, causing them to be exposed to greater amounts of it or eerie enough because they've become so numb to the excess that they've been exposed to are now curious to go and venture off into extreme versions of it. Things that they would have thought was disgusting at one point is now attractive. More so because some of the violent nature of pornography. Studies have shown that many people become desensitized to violence against women, rape, sexual abuse, with the faulty impression that maybe it's harmless and in fact, based on what they see on the stupid screen, are believing that it's not only harmless, but it is enjoyed by the victims. Pornography has a frightening effect on how it makes people view other people. It brings people to be simply body parts and objects. It affects how you view your friends, it affects how you view your coworkers, it affects how you see your wife, your current wife, or your wife-to-be. They're, they're just, whatever pornography presents, just something to get a thrill out of. There's nothing more than that. There's no individual to be known, there's no romance, there's no getting to know the person, there's no exploring in every area of life, none of that. It's just a thrill that I get from another person's body. That's what it reduces somebody's thought life to when it comes to the opposite sex. And with that, it also views and affects the way you view yourself. With that much exposure and that much dopamine and all the different things that come with it, you now see yourself as an object of sexual pleasure. You don't see your life anything more than that. My life is built around getting the next high. My life is built around getting the next thrill. My life is built around fulfilling my newest fantasy. So you view others in such a way and ultimately you reframe the way you value your own life. But as already hinted before, pornography is one of the main killers of marriage and relationships. Not only affects our brains, guys, that's where it begins. From the brain, it reaches to the heart of another person. Partners, this is the second point. We've gone from the inner man to the closest relationships to us, and I want to speak specifically about marriage in light of the season that many people find themselves in or want to enter into. Partners of those who are consumers of pornography have admittedly confessed the inward confusion and shame that comes by the thought of knowing that they are probably less attractive and undesirable because they've realized that their partner in secret has been consuming pornography. Deep pain, deep hurt. A range of emotions comes with it. Jealousy, insecurity, humiliation, rejection. Oh, some try to pamper by saying it's not really an act of adultery. 
it's just a screen, it's, it's just a video. But if they only knew what actually can come from the screen. And even if someone was to be open in their relationship about their porn conception, even if somebody was to admit to their significant other that this is something that they do, studies have shown that it greatly affects the intimacy that is experienced between those two people. Why? Because what you have is this. What you have is somebody that is bringing into their minds, bringing into their hearts, bringing into the way they frame sexuality with totally unrealistic expectations. It's acting. It's fake. It's Photoshop. It's edited, it's lighting, it's airbrush, but it is literally framed. Do you understand that pornography is one of the main sex, sex educators for young people? People are learning about sex through pornography. The evil, vile, putrid thing is teaching people how sex is experienced and shared with another person. And what do you have with those unrealistic expectations? A one-sided view of sexuality, a male-dominant view of sexuality. That one is a user and the other one's being used. It normalizes things that we would not think is normal. I, I, listen, I am keeping this as appropriate as possible. I cannot tell you the details of this stuff. When my stomach was turning to the literal statistics I was seeing and the insights of what this thing brings people to and how they view their wives and their husbands, it is catastrophic to say the least. It warps, and you bring that in, and then you place that on your significant other, and you expect them to meet those familiars that aren't even real in the first place. And so there's frustration, and there's, there's, a, there's a separation, there's emotional separation, there's loneliness that's created, and, and what does that ultimately end up doing for the person that consumes more? Helps them consume more porn? Well, what if my wife and I are open to watching it together? Because, you know, you have people that do this to try to arouse and try to excite and try to put a fresh spark to their intimacy. Would you be surprised to know that it might have some short-term short, short helping with that, but long-term, you guessed right, damage. I'm going to spare you the stories of how it's damaged. But let me boil it down to this. What does it say? What does it say about your relationship with your significant other? And that you need to view other people performing the act in order to be attracted to your significant other. What does it say about your marriage vows that you've made to your wife or to your husband when you said, you're the only person I'm attracted to in this world? My eyes, my mind, my imaginations, my meditations, all of that is completely consecrated to you. Where I go with these God-given desires, these sexual desires that are given by God, where I go with them, 100% into your heart. How is that line up with, let's watch random people in an ungodly, unchristlike, gospel-centered lessness into my relationship? There's a deeper issue than just trying to find a way to spark the romance. It says something of a deeper issue. For one to persuade or convince somebody else of a significant other into that kind of thing is a deep sin. Because it totally comes against what God has designed for marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, 
and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexual, immoral, and adulterous. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Don't bring anybody else into it. Keep the mystery. Keep the exploring. Keep the conversation. Let that history and let the future of that part of your relationship be solely between you and the one that God brought you with. Let me say this at this point. This is why the false idea as a single person to say I will consume pornography and that will break off once I find my wife or husband is such a lie. It is not a source of temporary relief until you find somebody that will satisfy those desires. Hear me very carefully, whether you like it or not, unless by the grace of God you come to full force against it, you are bringing that thing into your marriage. You're bringing in the, that thing into your marriage. And if you want to save your marriage, even if you're not married, you will take this message seriously and you will go to war with this sin. See, this is more than just a fight for the health of your brain. This is for the health of your relationship, of your home, of your future. Pornography has increased the infidelity rate in marriages by 300%. Not 30. Not 130. 300% enhancement of a chance of somebody having an affair because of pornography. So what do we say about the world? And we talked about how it affects me. Talked about how it affects those closest to me. But does it go beyond that? Absolutely. It goes beyond that. And again, this is not the main point because I want to get to the solution for the matter. But you better believe that this has a deep connection to human trafficking. Human trafficking has a deep impact on pornography. It's a cycle. You better believe that as much as, as dark as pornography is, there's even a darker side when you realize that all the fake expressions and all the things, the acting that is portrayed on those screens is actually all a cover-up for deep pain Deep regret, deep shame, deep health issues, beyond what we can even imagine. I've always thought to myself, with all those that filth that's out there, that's somebody's sister. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's mother. But see, that doesn't affect us because it's not my sister. It's not my daughter. It's not my mother. But how would you feel if you knew that it was your sister or your daughter or your mother and you knew that millions of men are pleasing themselves? Sometimes just changing the perspective really puts a new taste in our mouths. The world is affected by it. You say, how can my habit affect the world? Well, when you have a million people that are affected by it, it contributes to something. Here's the contribution. That because of what it does to the mind, it enhances and there's a tolerance, there's a greater need for different variation, and the variation puts a demand on the industry, and the industry goes out to do absolutely insane things to meet the need. And it's only getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And the day that we live in today, as you all know, the accessibility to it. I know it's nothing new, but what it is new is the fact that you can just do this and it comes to you. 
What is new about it is that you don't even have to actively look at it. I, I can tell you statistics of people who have not actively looked for it and got hooked on it just because it got popped up to them out of surprise. Happens. This is the day that we live in. Which requires an extra wisdom, an extra fear of the Lord, an extra ferocious, ruthless fight against the thing. We almost hear this stuff. I mean, my mind, my emotions. Yes, it's a contribution to loneliness. Yes, it's a contribution to depression. Yes, it's a contribution to shame. And it's again this vicious cycle because who can I admit this to? So I can't admit it and you're so shameful about it and there's such a, a discomfort about it. So what happens is again, it's that cycle. I need to comfort myself, so I'm going to run back to more on it. This thing thrives in the dark. The more it is hidden, the more it will thrive. And the more it is exposed, the more healing is possible. And that's why we're presenting it on a Sunday morning pulpit message. To shed light on the thing. And we hear all this and it almost sounds crushing. Isn't it? We hear all this and it's almost like a hopeless message. It's almost like, that's it. I mean, I, I've been in this thing for years. I've been in this thing for months. Uh, this is as young as I can remember. This is something that I've been bound to. So again, the lie of Satan. Just might as well let myself go and just give myself to this and enjoy it while, I, while it lasts. Lie. It's a lie. Because I want you to know that there is a solution to this. There is a solution to this. Go back to that verse in 1 Corinthians 6.18. What do you see in a few verses just before that? And verse 9, down to verse 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Not such are some of you right now. Such were some of you, past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It can be a thing of the past. You're saying, you talked a lot about the brain. Absolutely, so does the Bible. There is a renewing of the mind in Romans 12 too that is so powerful that it can actually rewire and reframe and restore what the enemy intended to do damage forever. But hearing all of this, hearing about the damage, hearing about what it will do emotionally, mentally, all those things is only part of the fight. It's only a part of the fight. I hope it would be enough to at least spark something to start flossing teeth. But if we're not convinced to believe that this is not just a fight against danger, but this is ultimately a fight for greater joy, we won't last. I have to believe that this fight against the prevailing power of pornography is not just a fight to protect me from harm, protect my marriage from damage, that is a part of it. I hope that's enough for you and I to fight against it. No, it's a fight for my joy and greater joy in that. But I'll stop here to say this. You can't come to the solution unless you first resolve this point in your life. You can't come to even the first step of seeing any change 
if this is first not established in the depths of your soul, I really want to be free. Because unfortunately what you hear a lot of the times is not a total hate for the sin. It's a love-hate relationship. I hate it, but I kind of love it. I hate how it makes me feel afterwards, but I, I love it in the moment. It is not until you and I come to the place where we're totally repulsed by it, that it is disgusting to us, that it is, no matter what, the cost going to be something that will be behind me and never before me again. <coughs> Oftentimes, the greatest hindrance to seeing a solution is the fact that we find some satisfaction in it. <coughs> I gotta believe that I'm fighting for something of greater joy, greater pleasure, greater thrill than what pornography is trying to sell. If not, I will keep buying. And as much as pornography affects the mind, as much as it affects the mind and the heart and the, and the body, know this, that it is ultimately a matter of the heart. Listen, hearing all these things, the scientific angle on this, the intent of that is not to bring us to a place where we think that medical solutions or psychological strategies are the saviors. They're not. They're not the saviors. There is a savior. The point of all of this is just to expose it, to show the wisdom of God behind this, how it actually does damage the body. But it comes down to this, my heart. Where is my heart at with this whole issue? And there's a savior if I believe it. And the scriptures provide the answer to knowing how the savior can surge and bring power to me over this area of my life. And it's a two-sided strategy. Listen very carefully. It is a two-sided strategy, whether this is for yourself or somebody else you want to counsel in the now or in the future. The solution to this is a two-sided strategy. What's a two-sided strategy? Outward and inward. External, internal. There has to be an external approach, things around me. There has to be an internal approach, things within me. And what unfortunately many people do is spend so much energy and put so much focus on the external, they fail to realize the necessity for the internal and therefore find their ways back to the external. What were you saying, external? And this is what I mean. Here's a powerful verse on this whole issue. Romans 13, 14. This is a verse to memorize. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So when I deal with the external approach, what I am doing is I'm trying to identify the things in my life that are fueling my temptation. The things in my life that are not helping with the already desires that are placed in my human nature and to steer it in the wrong direction. I must develop the wisdom. I must get some kind of external help here with people to identify the things that are around me, in my bedroom, in my car, on my screens, that would contribute to the desires of the flesh as described in Galatians 5 to overcome the desires of the spirit. What are those things? The external. Jesus preached on the external. 
Jesus gave the attitude that you and I have to have concerning sexual sin. He says, if your hand causes you to do it, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to do it, pluck it out. What is Jesus saying? Don't mutilate yourself. Have such an aggression against the very things, the means that are bringing you into some temptation, and deal with it by severing it from the root. There needs to be an aggressive attitude towards this. It cannot be passive. It cannot be light. It cannot be casual. It's a matter of life and death. For the sake of your mind, for the sake of your future marriage, for the sake of your home, for the sake of how you view all of life, identify those external things and do whatever you need to do to get rid of it. So if it's social media, it's not worth having social media over to stay bound in this sin. If it's a show that you enjoy and it includes things that would spark something within you, time to unsubscribe. I gotta be ferocious with this thing. I gotta go to war with this thing. Because I can guarantee you this, pornography will not let up. Pornography will not come to a place where it's like, oh, that's enough, we've done enough harm to the guy. It wants to crush you and crush your marriage and crush your children and crush your psyche, and crush everything about you. I mean, I was reading those statistics about the church, and the men that are addicted, and the pastors that are addicted, and I thought to myself, perhaps this is the reason why we're in such a spiritual state in America. Mm. Wow. Why our prayer meetings are empty. Why evangelism is so weak. Why hunger for the things of God seems so scarce. I wonder why. I believe this is one of the main contributions. And unless God pours out His Spirit in a convicting work in revival, we will only see the statistics getting higher and higher. You say, how? Because the devil is coming up with new ideas for people to engage in this. You say, how? I say, welcome to, in a few years, the world of virtual reality. You think people are staying in their rooms now. Wait until they put on those goggles that make everything so real. And they're now coming to the place where they actually can engage the body to feel things Whatever, whatever they're seeing. This is not a light thing. This is not a small thing. It's only going to get more intense and more dark. It's not to scare you. It's to make us alarm and say, it's time to floss my teeth. There's the external. But here's where people stop. They deal with the things outside. They deal with the things around them. And they still wonder, why do I have these longings? Why do I have these desires? Why do I still have these impulses pumping within me? I shattered my laptop. I got the other phone. I got the unsubscription. What is going on within me? And it is because the internal has not been dealt with. See, it is not a matter of just dealing with those desires and starving myself. It is about finding fresh, holy, pure desires to replace them. And this is where the Savior must become savory and sweet, and experientially known, lest we find ourselves doomed by this plague of pornography. Let me put it this way. You can deal with the external all you want, but unless you find the source and the spring of joy coming from within, you'll find a way back to those things. I had a mother of many children with her family, we were talking about this just a few weeks back. She, she made an amazing point. She goes, you know, I appreciate these, these blockers and all those things. We must deal with the external. I'm not against those things at all. 
But she made a good point. She goes, you don't have a website blocker when you're on the beach. You don't have a website blocker when you're going to work. There needs to be a deeper work done. And I agree with that 100%, so does the scriptures. If we don't replace those desires with a greater desire in mind to pursue, you will find a way back. John 15, 10 to 11, Jesus said, listen to this very carefully, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why are you giving me your commandments, Jesus? Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That's what we're dealing with. I need something in me. He says, well, I'm going to put my joy in you and not just joy in you, but that your joy may be full. In other words, I'm going to put such a joy in you that it will actually fill you to capacity in which you don't need to find anything else to satisfy you. That kind of joy. And it is through the avenue, it is through the lane of obedience. I have to believe that my fight against this is not because it's simply wrong, but because God has something better, that God has something greater, that God has something more pleasurable than what I am being sold by. If I don't, if I'm simply doing it because it's wrong, simply doing it because it's not right and it's inappropriate and it's shameful, it's not gonna last. But oh, when I have a fresh perspective to say, but there's something better. I'm fighting for a better marriage. I'm fighting for a better mind. I'm fighting for a better relationship with God. I'm fighting for a better outlook, inlook, everything. God, help me believe that what you have for me is better than what I think is good for me. And this will enable you and I to come to that place. Listen, I know there's steps to this. I know there's steps to that. And you can find it everywhere. But I believe it comes down to the root issue, and that is simply desire. It is by faith. Let me say it again. Everything comes by faith. I have to believe that what God has prescribed for me, that my reservation, that my rejection, that my holding on to purity and holiness is for joy. i got to believe that. Not withholding me from joy. Not stopping me from exploring. No, no, no. It is for my joy, and I'm going to trust that. Because every time a person clicks... Every time a person scrolls, every time a person watches, they are operating in unbelief. I believe that this is better than what God says. I believe that this is more satisfying than what God intended. And it's always an act of unbelief, as much as an act of so many other things. So when I'm tempted, when a person is tempted, when one is tempted, they have to bring up the shield of faith so that those fiery darts would not penetrate my heart and my mind. And I must believe in that moment what God has for me is better. Here's the great part. When you pursue God, when you give yourself, when you throw yourself at His feet, and you say, Lord, I'm tired of just the plain Christianity. I need the substance. I need the soaking of your Spirit in my soul in a way in which I actually know it from inside out. I need that or else I'm doomed. It's, it's that kind of desperation that brings liberty. It's that kind of desperation. And it's very hard to find. It's very hard to find. Lord, if your word says that I can be satisfied 
in the knowledge of God, satisfied by your Holy Spirit, satisfied by walking with you, then let me know that satisfaction within, or else I will go back and drink from broken cisterns. Living water, spring forth into my soul, and let me know something of satisfaction that will leave me wanting no more. I'm telling you guys, you're saying, what is it? I'm saying that it's, it's desperation. It's desperation. It's a cry, it's a craving that drives us to him and drives us away from those other things. So, I realize the nature of this subject. I realize that there can be so many different ways of approaching it. But by faith, here it is. By faith, here it is. Thinking to myself, how do you finish a message like this? How do you land it? Where do you go from here? I think the best thing to do is to deal with the internal right from the get-go. The external is something that you and the accountability partner that you believe you need in your life to help you keep in check. But let me say this. I don't mean to say this to bash accountability partners. I say this because I believe it to be true. That the best accountability partner is not your best friend, it's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not your pastor. The best accountability partner is the fear of God. The best accountability partner is the fear of God. See, there are certain things I won't do if my best friend's in the room. There are certain things that I won't do if my mother is in the same place. But there is a reality about God. He is there, He is there, He is there always. And you can come to the place where that's not just one of the, the statements of a creed, where you actually know it in your life. God is with me. God is here. Oh, and it's not just a fear thing. See, when you, when you deal with the internal deep enough, it becomes a sweet thing. God is with me. He's right here. So let me talk to him. Let me express myself to him. Let me walk in the light. Let me worship. Let's deal with the internal. Because it's not a personal thing. I hope if you're convinced of one thing amongst the many, it's this. That this is not as harmless as maybe we believe and thought. Wouldn't you want to be like a man like Job? A woman like Job? He was a man, but his attitude is posture. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How can I gaze upon a young virgin? Job 31.1. You know what I love about that? That when the devil came to God, and God brought Job in front of him, you know what the devil couldn't do? The devil couldn't look at Job's eyes and say, look at him, look what he looks at. He's a God-fearing man, are you sure? Do you see what he meditates upon when he sits on his porch and he watches employees? Do you see when he travels to the store what he's looking at and staring at from top down? The devil couldn't do that. The devil couldn't look at his eyes and bring it to God and try to shame the name of God through his life. Job had made a covenant with his eyes. And maybe nobody else knew about it because sometimes we're motivated by the testimony before others, which is good. But you know what Job was convinced of? I have a testimony before God and the devil. 
And if they ever have a chance to have a conversation with each other about my life, I want to make sure by the grace of God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, that Satan cannot look at my eyes and look in the eyes of God and say, look what he looks at. Look what she looks at. It's possible. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. And it includes this sin. I refuse to believe that as prevailing and as powerful as it seems to be, that it can overcome the power of the grace of God. I don't believe it. And it has to come with faith. It has to come with a belief that what God is able to do in me is greater than what I've done to myself and what the devil has done to me. That there is a renewing of the mind that is so powerful it will bury those things in due time. That as I starve the things that are creating a pathway in my mind, and I am strengthening the things that God intended me to strengthen, including the knowledge of His will and the beauty of His person, it will eclipse, it will overshadow, it will fill the gaps that I've made in my own brain. It's possible. Man, don't sink in shame today. Don't sink in shame today. Let your heart be lifted up. Let your soul be well in the knowledge that God is for you and not against you. That he does not look at you any differently. That he cares enough for you to say, come up out of that muck. Come up out of the, the thing that is destroying you my plan for your life. It's time to floss some teeth. It's time to realize that I've done some damage, sure, but I'm going to now do whatever it takes to reverse those damages. And to come out of this. And to come into the will of God. Because... Hear me, if it doesn't stop here, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. But if it does start here, it's only going to get better, better, and better. Believe this. I understand my delivery style can be very passionate. I hope it doesn't come off as condemnation. But seeing people ruining their lives through this should make us passionate. Should at least have somebody blow the trumpet call to say, we got to do something about this. This is not targeted towards anyone. This is not targeted towards this church specifically in the sense that for whatever reason other than that, it's a truth that's known around and it's a truth for us to hear. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. And if this is something that you're not struggling with, may you have a pure hatred for it like you never had before. May this be something that you will never allow into your life thinking that it is harmless or allow curiosity. God forbid that you allow something like this to make you curious. Let it make you even more Defensive around this area of your life. The steps are important, but man, it comes down to one thing satisfaction. It's the only thing that has longevity to it. And I can't offer that to you. The worship team can't offer that to you. It comes to a place where it's one on one with God. Say, Lord, whatever it means for my soul to drink deeply from the wells of life, let that be not poetry, not theology, let it be experience and engage my heart until I am full of joy. Are you saying that there's no practical? There's practical. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the practical will lead to the supernatural. You and I need the supernatural. Can I tell you something? As I close, what's going on out there? The things on the screen, as much as it's flesh and blood, better believe that it's spiritual. 
better believe that the prince of the power of the air knows exactly what he's doing in this day of age. People debate, are we in the last days, are we not? Whatever, that's, that's a matter for us not to figure out. But I can tell you this, every day is the last day. And in these last days, I wonder if the reason why there's such a lack of what we so want to see is because there's such a presence of what people are watching. We're fighting for so much more than just you and I not having a guilt feeling. We're fighting for so much more than that. For our own minds, for our future families and the families that we currently have, for the glory of the church and the presence of God, the power of God, the fellowship of God's people. And ultimately, what is this all about? God, your heart. Your heart, Lord. I want to walk like Job walked. I want to walk like Job walked in a way in which not only do I have a testimony before men, but I even have a testimony before you and the devil himself. That if there's anything that the devil would try to bring before you as hypocritical, it would never be what I do with my eyes. So Lord, I put my eyes on the altar today. I choose to do what Santa forgot to do, and that's pluck out his own eyes before the enemy got a hold of them. I bring them to you. Don't be discouraged to open this up with brothers, to open this up with leadership. Don't be discouraged to think that you can't fight this fight with people that are called to fight this fight with you. It's time to go to war. That's a good thing. It's time to have a fresh fight and zeal against us. It's time to coat our hearts with truth so that when things even come by surprise, they would not take us by hostage. They would not sabotage what we have with God we would be able to bounce our eyes, bounce our minds, bounce our affections off of those things because we've already internalized the glory, the presence, the joy that comes from fellowship with God. Let's do that tonight. Just bow your heads for me. Let's operate in faith this morning. Whatever has been done in the past, His mercies are to everyone. But let's not just drink from his mercy and not draw from his power. I encourage all of us in this specific Sunday morning message to ask God for a fresh faith and a fresh fight. Say, Lord, now I have new ammunition. I have new ammunition to give me a reason to say no. Give me a reason to abolish. Give me a reason to flee. One mission organization, before we pray out together, one mission organization admitted that they could not accept 85% of their applicants to do a mission trip because of pornography. Listen, guys. If you've heard anything from this pulpit this morning, I hope you do not hear a light thing. those that are speaking out against it for some reason are getting the most heat from the people within. I love you too much. And God loves us too much to stay silent in such an issue. It is not normal. It is not something that all guys struggle with. It is not something that is a standard in our day and we just, well, that's just what 
guys and girls struggle with is curiosity. It's a part of human nature. We explore, we lies. God wants us free. God wants to fight for our joy, but we just got to partner with Him. So if you have any motivation, know this, it is not a personal thing. It's not just within your bubble. It's not just within your room. No. It will do something to the mind. That mind will do something to somebody else's heart. When you have that combination, it doesn't stay within the home. It comes to the church. When it comes to the church, guess who else is being affected? The world that is waiting for the church as the expression of God's hands and feet to deliver them from the very things that we cannot be bound by. I'm telling you guys, this is not a light thing. Treat it as though it is literally killing your life. Take off its head with whatever you need to do. It's not a matter of duty. It has to come with the light. If you just do it out of duty, you're going to be stuck. But if you do it with the light, you will be satisfied. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. Let's pray by faith. Pray by faith. Not in shame, not in guilt, not in regret. He makes all things new, especially our minds. And this is what we need to ask from God from this moment on, Lord. I'm going to do something about this. Father, we pray in the mighty, glorious, saving name of Jesus Christ. In this place, Lord, we put aside all blame. We put aside all victim mentality. And we just get honest before you in your presence. And Lord, we bring to you our minds. We bring to you our hearts. We say we need your help. God in heaven, we believe your word is true. And what we need right now is a deliverance and a replacement with our desires. Lord, we pray right now that you would revive the hope and the faith and the fight to say, I will not let this no longer just stay with me, but I'm not bringing this into my marriage. I'm not bringing in this to my home. I'm not even going to bring this into my church. And that all starts if I first bring it into my bedroom. Lord, we pray right now for a fresh fight, a fresh faith, a wisdom, a zeal, a belief that what you have in walking in obedience is more satisfying and gratifying than whatever these things can try to offer me. Lord, we trust in you. Father, if the struggle is with this love-hate relationship, I don't hate it enough because there's still some admiration and there's still some liking to it. Lord, change appetites this morning. Change appetites this morning, God. Where people will come to a place where it is the most repulsive, disgusting, hideous thing that they could ever do, Lord. Make it so by your grace. We call upon you, God. Drain it out, Lord. Drain it out, Lord. And let every one of this church know the satisfying knowledge of the presence of God. Only you can make that happen. Lord, only you can make that happen, God. It can be preached about, it can be taught, it can be counseled. But unless you manifest, Father, unless you make yourself real, unless you allow us to taste and see, we will continue to nibble on things, Lord, that will leave us dead. We need you. We need you, God. We need you to do something with our hearts. Lord, I pray with my brothers and sisters over every marriage. Right now, Lord, we ask that you would protect every union under the name of Christ. We pray that you would protect this filth from coming into the home, Lord. 
We pray against false idea that it will enhance, it will bring more uh, of, a, of a romance, it will bring anything, Lord. We pray that there will be this safeguard against every mind and heart, Lord. We pray that the joy of the way you've prescribed it would be the pursuit of every union, Lord. We ask for the young ones. We pray. Never thought we would have to pray for this, but Lord, we pray for the Sunday school age, Lord. We pray for the exposure of this filth to not even come near the parameters, Father. We pray, Lord, for uh, just a protection as they go to school in this coming semester. As they go to classes, Lord, and phones are being distributed and things and pictures are being shown and shared. Lord, guard their eyes. Guard their minds. Guard their ears, Lord. We pray for wisdom for parents to know how to pour into their children. To not be afraid to discuss these things, Lord. For the knowledge of how to deliver it in small samples throughout the day or throughout the weeks and months, Lord. When conversations come up, not to neglect it, but to open it up and to pour in what you poured into them, Lord. We pray, God. We pray for the single people. God in heaven, we pray for the lie that this is something that can be broken off once they meet somebody. We pray that, Lord, there would be this new ambition in singleness to fight for my marriage, to fight for my spouse, to fight for the commitment that I will make to somebody in, in due time. And Lord, that you would renew, rewire, realign, regenerate, Lord, our minds, our appetites for the glory of God, for the good of the other person, Lord. We know that you are able, and we pray, God, that if statistics were to flow through this church, that you would prove to be good and powerful and true, Lord. And that we would prove to say that there are faithful ones in here who have not soiled their garments. That there are, are jobs upon jobs who have made covenant with their eyes to not look lustfully at the opposite sex for the sake of selfish pleasure. Lord, we pray that this house, your house, would be sanctified in the area of sexuality, Lord. That pornography would be something under our feet in the name of Jesus. And we pray, oh God, that you would receive all the glory for it. Lord, we come to you. You are the only Savior, God, in this matter. We believe it with all of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing in a moment. And how we're going to sing is in triumphant victory by faith. We're going to ask and talk to God in song, believing that He is going to do something in every heart of this place. This is not a, this is not a word to make you crawl back into your hole. This is a word to expose it on a corporate level so that it can be given on an individual basis. So be encouraged to know that all of this was to say that no matter what has happened, God is greater. God is better. God is more satisfying. He's extending that to you and I. And may whatever has been deposited in your heart be a daily inspiration to fight day by day. Let's go back to that message. Day by day. Don't think about how you're going to get free for this. How am I going to be free for 12 months? Just take it day by day. The same way that I have to choose to walk by the Spirit day by day, i got to make a choice to fight this thing every single day. That's how victory comes in the long term. Would you stand with me as we sing to the Lord?